0: Hi everyone, you're listening to Beyond the Benchmark, the EFG podcast. My name is Mo Zafso, I'm the Global Chief Investment Officer for EFG and uh, very happy to have Larry Jedelo on. Uh, Larry, um, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Just a little bit of background for some of our listeners, so... Uh, Larry uh runs the Institutional Strategist we'll, we'll hear a little bit about the history in a few moments. Uh I've known him we were just recounting just a few moments ago uh when was the first time we met? I kind of dated around 2005 so uh nearly uh, gosh 18 years ago. Um and um and uh you know he's been a, a very interesting thought provoking um, Strategist, uh, someone that uh, we've got to know very well over a long period of time. So, uh, uh, Larry, tell us about the institutional strategists, and uh, maybe a bit of your history as a as a run up to that uh, answer.
1: Sure. Well, uh, it's been about 40, 40 plus years, and I've been in the markets now working. So it's been a, a long and interesting uh, trail. Uh, I think where, where professionally and institutionally I started was a company called the Luthold Group, which used to be the largest independent firm in the States in the 80s when I was there. And then I had a change of life and went to UBS in Zurich and worked on the Middle Eastern accounts for several years. And then uh, I went back to when I went back to the States, um, several guys that I knew and myself bought part of a private bank. And inside the bank, there were about 700 million in assets so i ran those and i did a deal with the bank at the same time to start this product that uh i i at that time called the institutional strategist and for lack of a better term um i needed a a company name and i was standing in front of the registrar at the state of minnesota one day and they said what's the name of of your company and i said i don't know (laughs) (laughs) but i did say well what's the name of they said what's the name of the Product, I said the institutional trade said, okay. How about TIS, the acronym for it? Sounds good. So there we are. In 1991, uh, when we started the product in conjunction with the bank, and when split uh, the bank five years, then we decided to split, and uh, that became the sole product. And we've been running it now for 28 years, and it focuses on, uh, as you know, but it's all institu- it's all institutional. Although the definition of institutions has changed too, so we have a lot of family offices now. As well as the large, you know, mutual fund firms and hedge funds and sovereign funds and corporates. I mean, we have a really a very broad uh, client base. And we're still standing here after almost three decades.
0: You must be doing something very right, uh, Larry, uh, to be able to uh, do that. What do you put the secrets of your success to?
1: Well, I always tell my guys, our job is to make people money. It's real simple.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There are all kinds of ways to make money, but the way we have done it really goes back to—and I, I tip my hat to him right now. Mr. Luthold just passed away about a month ago, and I learned so much from this man. He—he he was uh, a great investor. From him, I learned all about charts. I used to hand draw charts every morning for him in the early '80s, mm-hmm. and, and in fact, the gold chart. I, we've had a giggle about this recently, um, talking to you know people who knew him as we were reminiscing about his life. And I said, you know, one of the things I used to do for him on every Monday morning was I hand drew about 110 charts. One of them was the gold chart. It was a point-and-figure gold chart that I, it, it, every 50 cent change, I would hand draw. And I would, there were no computers then, so I would literally, uh, when the chart came to the end of the page, I had to go get some scotch tape and a new piece of paper tape it together and keep going. <laughs> and, and it turned out that this had been going on with him for 20 some years before that. So one day we unwound the whole gold chart and it went around the office two times. Mm. I mean, you can't, that, that's absolutely precious. Mm. Because to, to, the gold chart now to me is up here. It's yeah, I don't need a computer. It's up in my head. Mm. I can, <laughs> I can see this thing. And, um, I think that was one thing was he really taught me, um, how to buy panics and, and, um, uh, and also to sell panics on the upside. It really was simply, and, and also not to, to try to, to intentionally uh, not to try and think like everybody else. He was always trying to find new ways of looking at markets, but in the end, he, you know, he always. Um, and I've I found this to be true: is you, you, you really need to go against the crowd. So we, that's what we tried to do over the years. Mm-hmm. Head of the crowd on, on the buy side and the sell side.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, uh, certainly. Uh, we've known you for for a long time, and I, you know, certainly put you in the unconventional box in terms of um, you know thinking. Um, so, just want to explore this a little bit more. So, obviously, you travel a hell of a lot, and you're, you're, um I, I don't know if you if you've tracked your you know how many miles a year you do. Uh, uh, Around the world, I don't know if you're doing as much as you used to, um, but uh, you know we've known you. You come visit at least two or three times a year, so we you you're, you're always passing through London. Um, you know what be a, a typical uh, you know travel year for you? Well, before COVID,
1: I used to go around the world twice a year, completely around the world, and there were some stops like London where I always would stop to see people such as yourself. Uh, I always tried to add new places, uh, places of interest. That was interrupted by COVID, uh, but I restarted that pattern again now. So uh, this year uh, I'm planning that trip actually right now. And I think one of the new stops will be Dubai. Another one, maybe Portugal. I think I'll skip Ukraine, but uh, you know, basically it's uh, and Asia. I've, I, I've been looking at uh, where the center of gravity in Asia is moving capital wise. Mm. And uh, we've always uh, stopped in Singapore, but what's going on there is extremely interesting with the amount of money that's coming into Singapore from China in particular. At, at the request of another client the other day, they, they said, could you tell me how many countries you've been in? And I came up with 45, which, which is depressing. <laughs> you know <what> <laughs> um so what's I've had some, yeah. had some, made some wonderful contacts that we have stayed with us for, for decades as a result of those trips. And as you know, people will, if you if you sit down with them and talk over a meal or a coffee or whatever the venue is, they're much more willing to talk than they are over a phone. Um, mm-hmm. And so these relationships have just been priceless.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's a different way. It's, it's kind of an old-fashioned way of building a business uh, like ours, but it's worked.
0: And obviously one of the you know, the, you know, the uniqueness certainly from our conversations is that you're, you're kind of joining the dots from all these travels, all these different visits, joining the dots, dots with your own research and your own thinking mm-hmm. and to kind of make a sense of it all. Is that a fair reflection of, of, uh, of, of how you put things together?
1: That's a very fair reflection. Uh, dot collecting is something that we were doing long before computers showed up now I have new competitions called AI. Yeah, we'll see who wins. <laughs> yeah, um, let's
0: let's uh, let's go into current thoughts. So let's talk about AI as a as a first topic. Um, uh, are you for regulation or not for regulation? Because I guess that's the big topic at the moment.
1: We've been thinking about this, and um, since we don't know the limits of where it could go. I don't know how you regulate it and i think that's the same problem not, not so much with cryptos but in any new technology you, you don't want to stifle its development but you also don't want to let it um, decide to wipe out the human race either mm. which apparently some people are trying to entice it to do that'd be a generally bad idea
0: yeah.
1: but uh, i yeah, you know, i think it's uh, i mean some of these technologies are changing so fast now that you know, it's it's interesting. It's you just made me think of something. One of the things that uh, I think come out of the U.S. banking crisis now is the lack of supervision, effective supervision. And this is the same thing, isn't it? We 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 have a banking system that's changing, and I'm not sure supervision kept up with it. And we have the same thing in technology, like AI, as you've mentioned. And I don't know even who the regulator is who can properly assess where the you know, where the guardrails should be put in. So my suspicion is that something probably unexpected and not constructive will have to happen before that, before a real um, attempt at legislative re- uh, regulation begins. But that's just, I'm just thinking.
0: Yeah, no, I think one of the interesting things, and you know, we can talk about the banks now, but um, one of the interesting things about Silicon Valley Uh, as well as the other banks, is how, and Credit Suisse, of course, how quickly money was able to exit out. You know, if I think about the old days, Mm -hmm. you know, you just lock the door Mm -hmm. and let people queue, right? And it was very difficult for them to to take their money Mm -hmm. out. Now they have APIs that can literally snatch the cash in in milliseconds and, uh, you know, put it somewhere else. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I guess... You know, liquidity profile, it brings a whole new <laughs> meaning to liquidity profile um, because your li- you know li- liquidity profile becomes 10x. So um, it'd be interesting. I suspect where certainly uh, our thinking really is, is that legislation will certainly move or regulation will move to the point that if you've got APIs, if you can take cash out much quicker, that means the liquidity ratios that you have have got to be, you know, 3x or 4x or 5x than you used to. In 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 that kind of you know development, and or the regulators start increasing the amount that you can have in a bank, you know, uh, with, with a, a federal guarantee. So you know, no longer two hundred and fifty k, it's five hundred k or a million dollars, because that's the only backstop that adds confidence back into a bank, um, and uh, you know doesn't allow those you know cash balances to to move so so swiftly.
1: Well, I think that's. The right way to think about this, Um, what we've concluded is that increasing the guarantee is perhaps a temporary step that might be done, but the real issue, which is, and and I'll confess to this, uh, the 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 ability to disintermediate deposits, as you pointed out, is so quick now, Mm. and the information flow is so uh, immediate. I mean, I the other day I was talking to a client, I just held up my phone and I said, "Here's the culprit." one of the culprits anyway, <laughs> people get in, get information much quicker than they used to, and they have the ability to um, move their money. But also it's, it's one of those uh, cultural things I think that's really interesting here is how long people were willing to accept a 0.1, a one basis point return on their deposits. And now all of a sudden they've awakened, and they realize that they can run out and buy a T-bill on Friday at 5.1%. And, and this is happening in particularly in, in large and small banks in the U.S. It's also happening in the regional banks. But I, I mean, we, we can talk about the segmentation, but I think this is partly why Bitcoin is rising. It's partly why gold is rising. Um, and it's a real. I think this is a real risk to the banking system, because, the U.S. banking system anyway, because it is a fractional reserve system. And as you take the deposit base and it leaves and, and you really can't stop it unless you want to gate the deposits, which seems like a genuinely bad idea to me. Um, you're, you're going to, you know, basically we're having a, almost a controlled run on the banks. And, and it, it, it leads to things like what happened on Friday. I mean, Friday, last, this is last Friday, April 14th. You, we had a decent PPI number. It was actually a little bit below expectations. The stock market fell, but the bond market, which was really interesting, I thought, we had a new high in the three-month T-bill yield. So inflation falls, T-bill yields go up. In fact, the entire curve, treasury curve uh, yields rose. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, now, wait a minute. <laughs> this is not supposed to be the playbook. What, what is this? And I think it really does go back to where you where you started, which is there's a disintermediation going on. That is perhaps a little bit unlike anything we've seen before, and I, I still believe one of our credos at the company is credit leads equity, and if the credit markets behave in a different way, equities are going to they're going to be affected.
0: In terms of um, um, you know, I guess moving to 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 that point, we've certainly seen, and I think you know we've seen the mutual fund flows, for example. Where you know money market funds have have, have had huge you know uh, inflows uh, over the course of the last um, uh, well I guess last month or so, and I guess people just feel that they're probably safer than putting in a deposit in a in a bank, it, or in fact the yield is much higher than you would do nope. uh, would you would mm-hmm. you get uh, in a bank given that the banks are obviously uh, you know charging or, or taking that interest. But then at the long end, and I think this is where things are getting interesting, short end we've seen this huge amount of volatility. I mean, you know, you you and I have been around for long enough to know that we don't get these moves in one two-year paper with the viciousness that has happened over the course of the last, uh, you know, 18 months. Interesting the long end is a bit more stable now. So I was just looking at just this morning, in the 10 year treasury has only moved in a 20 basis points range for uh, a month now, relatively tight compared to what we've had over the course of the last um, two years and more like what we would be used to in a normal market environment.
1: Speaking of travels, that's one of the trades I thought was put on at the end of last year that I was hearing from clients that I was seeing and prospects was they were buying the long end of the bond market. Now to some extent that has been okay if you did that, but it's it's not been the money maker that you would have thought, um, given, given everything you've just said. Um, it's the bond. I, it's one of the things I've been suggesting, uh, as well is something needs to be done by the, let's use the fed and the treasury to reduce bond volatility mm. And and if, you know, if they don't, um, I, I don't, <laughs> I've never seen short, paper. as you said, I've never seen short paper trade like this. I used to trade a lot of treasury bonds and I've never, I used to trade spreads as well. I used to trade the old T-bond Jenny May spread. This this is crazy, what's the, the volatility. Mm. And it, you know, so we when we sit back and say, well, how, do, why is this happening? I, one reason it might be happening. It's not the only reason, but it's just the supply of treasuries that are coming to market on the short end of the curve. So it's new issuance. I mean, we just had the deficit numbers come out. I think it was over a trillion dollars for, I believe it was six months. It's just the, the interest expense and, and government spending in the States is ratcheting up at a pace that um, I think they're going to have difficulty getting long bond paper off. Uh, and they're going, and increasingly, they seem to be pushing new issuance into the short end of the curve where I'm sure they believe they can control it. They can control where the rate is, but what they're finding out is the volatility is, is picking up on them and there must be some real head scratching going on over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think it also, to your point, it will drive people into other asset classes, whether it's higher yield stocks or uh, uh, Bitcoin as an alternative or gold or something else. I mean, it's, it's like a made-to-order disintermediation from the very part of the curve, which I think they would want to be the most stable.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely, uh, you know, absolutely fascinating um i guess that we've all seen the same volatility elsewhere in the world in the UK and Europe obviously one of the lead ups to the problem with silicon valley bank was something that we saw in the UK with the uh, pension funds and their you know long dated liabilities it's pretty much an echo of what exactly silicon valley bank were doing you know in their own portfolios so there was a nice run into this that one could have foresaw um, in, in, you know, from just the, the UK insurance uh, company, uh, sorry, not insurance, the uh, pension fund debacle.
1: Well, I guess that leads into the question of what's next, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that was going to be my next question. What, what's next, Larry? What's the, <laughs> eh, eh, obviously always very, very hard to, to, uh, predict these things. Um, I, you know, before you go, I think there's two observations that I had, which I were very interesting. And I, uh, and I know you share them. Uh the first is with Silicon Valley Bank, and what we saw with the dollar. You know, when was the last time we saw a crisis, banking crisis, i.e., Silicon Valley and others, and of course um, Credit Suisse, and the dollar hardly moved. In fact, exactly. you know, uh, exactly. it was a lot weaker. Uh-huh. What's what are your thoughts around that, and you know, what's driving that?
1: Well, I think that's the non-U.S. Uh, part of the story. Now is, I think more and more. In, well, we we've seen it publicly, and we've written a little bit about this. This whole move toward de-dollarization is not, um, it's not fake news, <laughs> to use the words of a former president. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's it's the main reason why we saw the dollar act this way, but I, I do think, and I'm getting questions now from the clients about, about uh, the non-U.S. clients about where to deposit cash, what currency to put... And this, these are new questions for us, relatively new. What currencies to put them in? Should I buy some gold? Is it real? For, I'll just do you know, kind of a litany of questions I'm getting. Is it is it real? Are, are the GCC countries actually designing a new currency? And the answer is yes, they are. They're trying to. And we think that they are going to try and back it with gold. Uh, China has been known for some years now to be accumulating gold in part to develop their currency, along with the Shanghai Cooperation Council um, countries. And so there are alternatives to the dollar, I think, that are surfacing now uh, that real money is moving into. And I, I, that's, I think, the easy answer. But I think the other part of the answer is something that's even, is, is really troubling to me. And I actually was talking with this last night about someone in Asia. And I said, you know, and he was talking about the U.S. and he was describing what people outside the us see when they turn on the news and and what they see i think is uh, you know uh, the crime uh the bank bust the government spending you know you see all these things and he, he at the end of a long list of of negatives um and of course you know it's never all negative but that's what he's describing to me he said what do you think about all that and i said well if that was a company i'd say they've got a branding problem and I think that's part of it. Is it's now a branding problem? Is uh, particularly with the debt? I, I think uh, if I'm an outside investor, outside the states investor, and looking at the dollar, I would I would re- I'll, I'll give you another example. I got an email the other day from a guy. He's got a pension. He's in Switzerland. He's got a pension that's in dollars because he worked for a U.S. company, and he said that pension is done nothing. Would go down because it's denominated in dollars. Uh, that's the real world example of, you know, and he's trying to figure out how to hedge this or how to somehow change the mix or do something because his question to me was, what do you think the dollar will do the next 10 years? And my answer was, it's I think it's going lower. And what really worries me is the, it, what you just described. And that is it should have, but things should move one way. They should have bounced and it didn't. That's the bell going off to me. <laughs> Something's changing. And we better get in front of it otherwise we're going to get run over
0: yeah and no, so it's a, it's a very good point um, it just reminds me of uh of uh, an article that someone talked about this 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 morning on our morning call was uh, was uh, the Economist article was very bullish on U.S. assets uh, and why oh, they've <laughs> <yeah>, why <laughs> they done know. so well over the course of the last twenty years or so which which they have you know relative yeah, to to, to 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 other places but uh, you know uh, is that necessarily a, um, a, a an observation. You know going forward is a, is a whole different uh, is a whole different ball game um but um I, you know I'm I'm with you on on the on the dollar and I think um when I recall another observation that happened in currencies was actually dollar yen when covid broke out and the dollar yen couldn't get through 100 and it uh, actually weakened over the covid period um and, um, you know, the couple of months uh, that it was, uh, that the COVID was right, you know, in the centre of things. Uh, and that really struck to me um, that uh, the dollar-yen was going to change and obviously never predicted we'd get to 150. But you just knew it was going in one direction, uh, you know, subsequently. No. And and I liken it to that. Obviously, it may not be as severe as that, but uh, uh, certainly likened to it when when markets move and, not in the way that you would expect them. That's usually the bell going off. Well,
1: it's not our official view, but one of our colleagues um, thinks the dollar is going to be cut in half
0: wow. okay. uh, <laughs>
1: within the next few years. And um, the long run, he's been pretty good, so I have to pay attention to what he's saying. And he lives outside the U.S., which is always a different perspective than the one you get internally.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Where,
1: or if, you, if you ask you, know, if you ask U.S. people, you think the dollar go down by half 50% in the next five years answer is are you
0: you know are you nuts what's wrong with you <laughs> and uh, well it wasn't that uh, we uh, in our 2023 outlook uh, we actually put a chart together which shows the sort of 10-year cycles of, of, of currency and we're coming to the end of the dollar appreciation cycle over the last decade mm-hmm. um since 2012 mm-hmm. i guess uh, and um and uh, the average depreciation is guess what fifty percent. So <laughs> we wouldn't be too far off, uh, you know, from that. Uh, from that. Uh, from, from that thinking. Maybe not next couple of years, but certainly <laughs> over a period. Uh, you know, markets never move in a in, in, you know in a straight line. So Larry, some of the other things we we um, uh, you know we were talking about a little bit earlier. China. What are your thoughts on you know China? Obviously, the relationship. Between the U.S. and China is very bipartisan negative. What's your What's your thoughts as we uh, run up to the uh, to the presidential race uh, next year?
1: No. Well, well, the, the first thought I continue to have is the two countries seem to need each other in a number of ways, and if they could avoid the conflict, it probably would be good for both and the world. But um, at least from the U.S. side, what's coming? is not that's not going to happen. Uh, we we are aware and have been writing a bit about the legislation that's coming out of the house and the Senate and it is bipartisan which is interesting because right now the two the two sides the two political sides in the states can't agree on much of anything but uh, the Demo- actually, the Democrats joined on a new committee in the House called the House bipartisan Committee on China and they held their first public hearing in primetime television which never occurs, but it was about an hour and a half to two hours of China bashing and why new legislation needed to be passed. And they have votes from the Democratic side. It's not just Republicans to write legislation and they have it in the Senate as well. We, we know who the two senators are who are, are writing it. Um, and basically it's a, um, I describe it as a, a version of capital controls because we do have as you know, we have a, uh, a wall uh, in the states. It's not a border wall, but it's a uh, it's called CFIUS. And these are the five people: the Secretary of Defense, State, Treasury, and Vice President, Abebe, and one other who regulate um, capital coming into the U.S. This legislation is designed to limit capital going out of the U.S., specifically to China. And I, actually, the bill was a bill was reintroduced last week, which names the, the industries they're targeting, why they're targeting those industries. And it's it's a, you know, basically the CHIPS Act, I think, was the beginning that this this was the entree to the a broader set of legislation that is coming. And, it you know, it's going to involve technology, could involve pharma, could involve financial companies. Uh, certainly some manufacturing, and there are a number of large U.S. companies, as you know, like Apple, that have enormous uh, production capacity in China. Um, and they're going to be, I think, under a lot of pressure now from both sides. So this is, I mean, this is not pro-growth <laughs> legislation. This is quite the opposite. And, and we've even heard that, you know, it was on Bloomberg the other day, that President Biden is going to write an executive order on the same topics but i think the reason he's considering i haven't seen it i don't think he's done it yet i think the reason he's doing it is to try and water down how aggressive the legislative proposal is that are, that will come from those from senate and house and have to be reconciled um china i think gets it i think i know that i get it um this is why they've been more aggressive in there um and i think we ran that the other day we linked it to a an english language translation of a a seven, six, seven, part piece by the foreign ministry in China describing uh, um, the U.S. as a, a, a hegemony, a political hegemony, kind of economic. And they, they made their points. And, and basically, what they said at the end was, We're going to retaliate now, going forward, if this continues. Well, this legislation would be exactly the kind of thing that I think they will uh, choose to retaliate against. And I, and I do wonder, Moses, if what they just did with Taiwan, where they encircled the island, um, that, that's a foreshadowing of what's going to come. I, I've never thought they were going to bomb Taiwan Semiconductor, that's that's not going to happen. Yeah. But they could cut off the supply of chips to the West and that would be, I think, devastating for the US tech industry. So that's, uh, I, I think this is what's coming without some kind of political accommodation, which, given as well, and you brought it up, and I think it's right, is the presidential cycle now in the US is 18 months away and our presidential campaigns now begin about now. I think some of the um primaries for the Republicans start maybe perhaps even in August or some of the campaigning starts anyway. Um and I think that's this is going to be one of the top three topics is going to be the US relationship with China and how we go forward with them and it's just it, it's 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 very remindful of and I, and I don't want to sound overly dramatic but i'm I'm a great one for history and i i so i've read quite a bit about how the u.s got into world war ii with japan and basically the the, the trigger point was the u.s uh put they put, put controls on japan importing palm oil and crude oil in 1941. it was a control a control pattern and japan in many ways I had no choice then, but to go ahead and open up those trade lines again. And it seems to me that if you start controlling the flow of capital in China needs dollars right now, this is why they're moving so quickly to try and de-dollarize. You know, I, I see people, and I you know I, I always, I, I'm not, uh, I, I like seeing dissenting voices, but the, some of the dissent I've seen in terms of, oh, this de-dollarization thing is, is uh, never going to happen. Well, if you watch the Chinese, I think they've got quite a different view. I think and they are reducing their exposure to the dollar. They are selling treasury bonds. And this is why I think they're being as dependent as they are right now on dollars. They would like to reduce that dependence. And this kind of legislation will really um, be negative, I think, for the Chinese economy and capital markets. So they will respond now. Mm
0: certainly be worth watching out obviously one of the things that we've noticed in europe is that how china is trying to rebuild the relationship with europe and may even be trying to create a wedge between the us and and europe um, uh, certainly the the inflation reduction act was quite anti-european in terms yeah. of um, you know climate products and and and, uh, and autos of course uh, electric autos of course um and the Europeans certainly don't like it. And um and uh, you know, what I notice now is that two Europeans now have gone to China in the last, you know, six mm-hmm. months, uh, both Schultz mm-hmm. and now Macron. Um and uh and that is even despite President Xi going to see Putin, which would obviously be a quite a negative European, you know, act, I would say. Uh but it seemed to Not dissuade Macron from going over to China, and and I, you know, it does seem to be an interesting development on on the European side, and uh, where US certainly seems to be building a better relationship. Oh, sorry, uh, uh, China is certainly trying to build a better relationship.
1: Yeah, and and uh, Mr. Macron also took along with him the head of the EU, which didn't get a lot of attention.
0: Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, yeah no exactly yeah um uh, c- certainly um uh, her comments weren't weren't uh, particularly supportive of China and I suspect that she she got put in the penalty box i think during that <laughs> during that uh during that trip yeah um so moving then to kind of more near term uh matters um Larry you've uh, obviously as I mentioned to listeners that uh, you know you have what a conventional and unconventional way of looking at uh, markets and uh, the unconventional model I noticed that uh, more recently um, that uh, you added uh, short short NASDAQ, short growth position. Of course, they've done very well so far this year and consumer discretion, if I recall correctly. Um, what is your kind of logic? And obviously that's on one side and you've got long gold, short dollar, short um, dollar energy and and some japan even some cyclical components on the other side what is the kind of logic of that portfolio construction at the moment
1: yeah well it's tactical in nature so it it normally swings at least a couple times a year to um not always but normally and we we think the markets now are at an inflection point um Having said that, you know the, the U.S. economy. I think is one of the main drivers for why we've changed uh, positions, and this is probably the, the best advertised recession we've had in history. Yeah, everybody's calling for it, and they have. But we have the data now. You know, we have more information than we used to have, so it it, it flows faster. Um, but I, again, I, I go back to what I mentioned before. I think credit leads equities, and this disintermediation of the credit markets, and this is one of the reasons we took this position. Was uh, we have contact with some distressed managers, and they are these these people are running very high levels of cash, extremely high, like fifty to seventy percent cash in their funds, and they're telling us they're going to have some of the best opportunities in the next six months that they've had in many many years, primarily in the commercial real estate market. Now that's you know pr- property is uh, is a keystone in the U.S. economy, and if, if um, valuations begin to fall which i think they will um we're, we're going to have something different in terms of uh, gdp than we have had so that's 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 the first point um the second point i think is the market itself is telling us that um in fact this this goes back to something else we do internally we have a service we look at it's a, actually it's one of the few services we buy and we've worked with it for. 20 plus years. And basically what it does is it gives us a list of the top 350 stocks in the world and whether they're on buy signals, sell signals, or no signal. And when the ratio of stocks on sell signals are three times what they are for buy signals, it's historically been a very good time to reduce exposure or go outright short. Another way I looked at it is we do look at it is uh, if there's no buy signals, don't buy. (laughs) <laughs> and that's, it's it sounds very simple, but that's the way the system is set up. And, uh, it's, it's been looking like that now for a couple of weeks. Uh, so the market just seems to be telling me it's over, it's way overbought. There are parts of the market. I mean, fair enough. I mean, anybody that bought Meta or the Fangs six months ago, you're, you're up about 50%. Well done. Yeah, yeah. Uh but I think now it's probably overdone. Um, and if we're going to have a recession, earnings estimates still have to come down, um, and we're going to get a we're going to get a correction now. That I think it's it could be you know normally corrections are confined by about seven percent declines. I think this one this isn't if this is a tech decline, it's not, they're not going to stop at seven percent. They're going to they're going to correct ten, twenty, thirty, whatever the number is, um, and, and then you've got this credit. The problem I think in in the credit markets itself. That come along with it, and, and that's the real risk here. Is that uh, um, it's it's the underbell it's it's the fixed income markets that have an issue here.
0: Obviously, one of the big observations we've had, and um, is the VIX is generally quite low at the moment. What do you attribute yeah. that to?
1: Well, I'll confess to not completely understanding how the VIX moves, but it's been a very good uh, discipline to sell it when it gets very low and, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, buy it and then sell it. You know when it goes above thirty-five, something like that, forty-five. And mm. if we didn't know anything else, that's actually been a pretty good strategy. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we 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 know that there's a lot of pension fund selling of VIX from time to time in order to create income,
0: mm.
1: but I'm also wondering if that's going to dissipate now because there are actually are deals in the market which they can uh, access. Yeah. Just, just a real quick a, sh- a very short story is um, I, I was out in the eastern part of the United States a couple of weeks ago and I was talking to, uh, talk to an insurance company, a pension fund, and a family office. All three of them, and none of them are involved in this now, all three of them indicated an interest in putting new capital in private lending. They all think it's an area they want to become involved in and one of them told me that they had looked at uh, a, a part of that market which would be the triple c companies in the states so you really have to know the companies mm. to you know and do the work uh, in order to benefit from that and I asked them what kind of yields were available for instance on uh, uh, bank loans in that area they said they could get 18 to 22 mm. percent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I actually asked them to repeat it because I wasn't sure <laughs> I heard the right numbers, and it turns out that you know if you if you go even up just a little bit of the credit quality scale, you're in the mid deens already, mm, mm. and you haven't really had the the, the dump yet. So I, it, to me, that's where the the actual rate of interest is being set. It's not at the Fed. This is actual peer to peer lending. Um, so the Treasury markets in one part of the universe, and to me, this is the actual part of the economy, and, and rates are much higher at this point.
0: No, absolutely. I think that's uh, certainly starting to come through, certainly in uh, you know, senior loan officers' surveys and that sort of stuff, where you can certainly yeah. see that starting to um, uh, starting to pick up. I, I guess that ultimately then leads to uh, interest rate developments. What, what are your thoughts about... Um, uh, obviously, I mean, it looks like a, a May rate hike of 25 is kind of baked in, you know, at this uh, at this point in time. Uh, unless something happens dramatically over the next couple of weeks, um, um, mm-hmm. and then uh, when do you think we're in rate cut land? <laughs> um, um, which I, I guess, you know, if we're just looking at money markets, that seems to be September. <laughs> but uh, what are your what are, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Well, uh, I thought during Powell's last press conference, he gave it away when he said that uh, um, if credit, I'll paraphrase him, he said if credit conditions tighten, monetary policy has less to do. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this this goes back to my 30 years ago, you know, being part of a private bank. I saw what the bank examiners could do. They can come in and make it much more difficult to lend money if they want to. And I think that's what he was suggesting was we're about to do because of what happened with Silicon Valley.
0: Mm.
1: And then interestingly on April 14th, Yellen said the same thing. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think that's an accident. I, I think they're going to allow uh, regulators and if the banks don't do it uh, to cut the amount of lending they're doing, yes. this is going to be a regulatory recession. Mm. So the market I think will move well ahead of, what the fed does in terms of rate cuts so i i'll i would correlate it this way when you really start to see some bad news in property REITs or gates put on funds um, big property funds uh, or or we just see bad earnings numbers start and that's so what's bad numbers coming out now in the publicly traded REITs but the guidance i think the guidance is extremely important right now mm. what we're going to hear the next few weeks mm. and i think then the market will change move
0: yeah well c- certainly the, um, the fixed income markets have already moved quite heavily in terms of um, uh, you know rate expectations and, and it's quite interesting because you know an economic forecaster can't forecast uh, or be wrong for them to forecast an accident right uh, like a Silicon Valley bank is very difficult to forecast although they may have it right. in the back of their mind they can't forecast yeah. but that doesn't stop the market forecasting it right and uh, uh, and and I suspect that's uh, why you know, rate expectations are much lower.
1: Well, and let's let's maybe just throw one other thing out there. What happens if we get the accident and rates go up?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be interesting. <laughs> that certainly would be interesting. Uh, it's only one to watch out for uh, as one of those things that that you didn't expect. Um, yeah I think, yeah, that's, I think that's
1: the era we're in now is we, we need to expect the unexpected and not that the Fed would raise rates but that the market just would reprice itself and say um, we, we don't understand this we don't know where this and there's no the liquidity yeah or or much more limited liquidity
0: yeah no absolutely uh, that certainly makes a, makes a difference uh, so Larry this has been a, a very very fascinating you know discussion and no doubt we could probably talk for a few more hours <laughs> but yeah um, Um, obviously one of the things I wanted to to discuss with you, a really important matter, is obviously with all your travels, and I know you, uh, from time to time, give some some good restaurant tips on your travels. Anything you want to share (laughs) this time uh, on uh, a particular restaurant, a particular favourite of yours, in any location, so we can keep it very open.
1: Oh, you're asking for the golden page. Egg
0: yeah, basically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even
1: know if I could, I don't know the name, but if you're in Edinburgh and you like Thai food, yep. go, go to the, uh, I believe it's the uh, the music hall. It, it's right across from the Sheraton. And on one side of the music hall there, there's a Thai restaurant. I can't think of the name. It's got about six tables. Right. It's fabulous. Anyway, well, we'll start writing the more, more of that in our pieces. You, you brought it up and you've... Um, inspired me to to reveal more about my there's one place I've, no, I've I I refused to reveal until I retire and that's in Geneva and the and the reason is I can't I, I can't get a reservation when I go in there oh reservation <laughs> <All> right. Right.
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> so Larry thank my you worries. very much we'll, we'll definitely next time in Edinburgh we'll try that um we'll go and search it afterwards maybe we'll put in the notes of the show afterwards but thanks very much Larry for for your time and uh, great having you on and uh, no doubt we'll have you uh, again uh, you know very shortly so uh, thank you very much that wraps us up for uh, for today thank you very much for listening and uh, if you uh, have any ideas for uh, who else we should get on the podcast please do let us know Uh, in the meantime we wish you a great day